Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. Um, you know, this it's been a it's been a summer of challenges for for our show. You know, if you've been following, you know that that's gone on. And the challenge this week is there is literally a sleeping baby in the next room. Not mine, not mine, but a baby that is sleeping in the next room. So I'm gonna try really hard not to wake it. People tell me I'm too loud on the show a lot. They say, Robert, you should talk quieter. So this is a chance for me to put that into action. So um, that's what we're doing in terms of the way I'm going to act this week. But we have lots of stuff to talk about. So Jasmine going to talk to us about uh, a lawsuit involving the Louisville Urban League. When we talked about it before the show started, Jasmine said, I really just don't know what to think. So we're going to find out if she figured it out or if not. Um, and, and we'll just learn a little bit about that. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting kind of uh, dramatic, I think is a good way to put it, dramatic story. So we're going to tell you all about that. I uh, Lexington passed their budget this week. Louisville is passing their budget likely this week, so we'll probably talk about Louisville passing their budget next week. But this week, Lexington passed their budget, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. And there are a lot of quick hits to catch up on, some involving follow-up from stories we have been following, some new stuff, some stuff that's kind of just in the realm of stories we talked about before, stuff like that. So without any further ado, Jasmine, tell us what we need to know about the Louisville Urban League and a lawsuit. Okay, so last week, the Louisville Urban League filed a motion to have the lawsuit against it by its former president dismissed. Um, But that's the new news, but we need to go back a little bit. So after Sadiqwa Reynolds stepped down as president of the Louisville Urban League, Dr. Kish Kumi Price was appointed as the organization's next president. She was only in the role for five months before there was a rather abrupt announcement that she was transitioning out of the role effective immediately back in March. And we talked about this on our show and just a little bit though, her swift exit seemed really strange and mysterious at the time. No one really knew why she was leaving, whether she was resigning, whether she was terminated, The only suggestion that I saw, and this is like pure rumor and social media, the only possible suggestion I had seen was that Price had shown some support on social media for the historically black neighborhood assembly. And there is, of course, some tension between groups like the historically black neighborhood assembly and the West End Opportunity Partnership. And I I truly don't know if that had anything to do with it at all but that was really the only thing that i even saw back in march when she was leaving the role but then in may dr price filed a lawsuit alleging that she was fired after bringing financial irregularities and conflicts of interest to light during her tenure she filed the coo Rhonda mitchell who she said kept from her the misuse of a $1 million grant from Brown Foreman. Um, And the lawsuit alleges that Sadiqa Reynolds then warned her that she better watch who she fires from now on. When price was let go, she said that she was initially not fired for cause, but was then told she was fired for cause, but then was not given a specific reason or anything like that 
she claims that she was going to raise issues with the board in March, right before she was fired. One of the issues being that employees of the Urban League were actually working for the nonprofit entity, the Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center, which is like the sports complex that they built. So they're they're working at the sports complex, but they're on the Urban League's payroll. But the Sports and Learning Center is a nonprofit entity. Um, and Sadiqa Reynolds is listed as the president of that entity. Dr. Price also alleges that the National Urban League told her that the Louisville affiliate wasn't properly using money earmarked for education and health purposes. The lawsuit also says that $2 million of a $5.7 million gift was used to pay off a loan, which should have required the donor to be notified. The donor in that case was Humana, um, and it alleges that the Urban League hadn't told them. And it also claims that between January and March, the Urban League used um, that $1 million grant from Brown Foreman, which I mentioned above when um, I talked about the firing of the COO. They used it in a way that the company hadn't authorized. So quite a few allegations there yeah. in Dr. Kishkumi Price's lawsuit. Um, so that was, she was removed as president in March. Lawsuit was filed in May. Um, and the statement from the Louisville Urban League they said Dr. Price's allegations do not and cannot state a viable claim, and her complaint should be dismissed. We look forward to the opportunity to highlight the deficiencies in her legal theories to our judge. Despite the spacious, baseless narrative in Dr. Price's complaint, the league remains dedicated to its important work in our community. The league's focus on its mission, vision, and values indoors, even in the face of this litigation. Um, so I, I couldn't find, I don't have any kind of access to the legal filings or anything um, other than, you know, like going to the courthouse and looking for them. <laughs> um, but I know that the motion to dismiss is for failure to state a claim, which is, you know, what most of them are for. So I, I don't know a lot of the details, but I know that they say that Price failed to identify any kind of public policy that the league violated in terminating her. Um, but I don't know a lot of the content that it states in its motion to dismiss. Sometimes these things are a little bit bare bones. And then um, more of those arguments come out in, you know, later briefing or oral arguments or things like that. Um, but I know it's a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. Right now, this is this is still fairly mysterious to me as what really happened. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely mysterious. Uh, I guess, mis yeah, mysterious is probably a good word. I will say, having worked in the world uh, and also been around a lot of nonprofits, that there is a broad spectrum of people's approach to compliance when working in, in nonprofits. And, mm -hmm. of course, like the closer you get to the line of impropriety, the more likely it is that you face some sort of problem. Um, and, you know, doctor, uh, to me, from listening to all this and all the stuff that I've read about this situation, it seemed like Dr. Price just had a much more rigorous, uh, like, approach to compliance. 
Um, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and I do think that that's probably where where some of this comes from. And I'm not saying that the Louisville Urban League did anything wrong. They probably just could have done things better. Um, and I think that that's probably true of every nonprofit in the world. And I think the real question that this lawsuit may get into if it is not dismissed is like, did the Louisville Urban League cross any lines in their approach to mm-hmm. compliance? Um, there are some significant allegations in Dr. Price's, you know, lawsuit uh, that, that, you know, some of these things, but, but, it, but there are things like we didn't notify a donor when we used a large portion of their gift for this thing. Which is that, and I think that that's like one of those things where like some people will see that and think that that's really egregious. And other people will see that and think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Does Humana really care that they use their money to pay off a loan? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Like that, that's the kind of thing. Like there's, there's a lot of room for interpretation. There's room for disagreement. And, and I do think that that's like the heart of, of the issue here. I don't know. I also don't really know what to think. Um, I really don't know how to feel about all of this. Um, do you, do you have any any thoughts or feelings or opinions about um, Dr. Price and and Sadika Reynolds and the Louisville Urban League and how this is all kind of shaken out? Yeah, I'm not really sure because you know right now, like when you file a complaint, the complaint itself is pretty bare bones, and so I guess what I'd be interested to is waiting until like we get into the discovery process mm. and seeing like what actually comes out of this. Um, because if, if she was fired, like for bringing some of these things to light, I, that does, it's, it's the retaliation part of it that, mm-hmm. that seems like worse to me than, than some of the financial things. And I also don't, I didn't take business associations in law school. I dropped it after two days. <laughs> uh, so some of this stuff, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, like what the kind of like penalties for these kind of things, like how egregious some of these things are and aren't. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I'd be interested if it gets to that stage like how how bad the discovery is in this case yeah in terms of like the lawsuit and the Louisville urban league saying you know they that dr price didn't state a claim um i I guess it is kind of like what is she what is she saying is she saying that she was fired for cause and shouldn't have been or like i don't i don't really know exactly what her contract states or like you know, I know most of the time, most people are like employed at will or like, you know, if you are, unless you have like a contract, they, the board can just like vote to fire you and then you're fired. Like that's really all there is to it. Yeah. Well, her lawsuit's a retaliation suit. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's alleging that she was retaliated against for yeah, bringing these things to light. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of from the lawsuit's perspective. I don't know how that works. Like, I don't know exactly what counts as retaliation and what counts as what the board is actually just allowed to do to you because you're just an employee. Um, That obviously is a whole – there's, like, lots of laws about that. So, you know, definitely something that we need to continue to track. 
And also just allegate, even if the lawsuit is dismissed, like allegations that probably need some follow up. Uh, you know, what what's going on here? Like, are we upset about this? Like the fact that people were classified as employees of the Louisville Urban League, but they were working for the um, the sports complex. Like is how big of a deal do we feel like that is? Like that that's all stuff that pro- probably deserves like a, a community airing. Like, you know, this is an important institution in our city. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be doing a good job. And just like talking about this, like figuring out how we feel about this. Is it inappropriate? Like are the people that are running the things over there, are they doing it a, an okay job? And like I said, I don't really know. I don't really know how to feel about it. And maybe like that is okay. I, I, I just really, I just really don't know. Uh, anything else to say about this, Jasmine? No, I think that's it for now. All right. Um, well, we just talked about the Louisville Urban League, so let's move 80 miles east to Lexington and talk about their budget. So we have been talking uh, the past couple of weeks about the growth boundary uh, and its its expansion uh, in, in the city of Lexington. Um but we didn't really mention when when we were talking about the growth boundary that the debate about that boundary is happening in the context of the city's annual budget, which has now passed. Like the the expansion of the growth boundary was a part of the budget process in Lexington. So we we'll talk a little bit about what's actually in the rest of the budget. Mayor Gordon proposed a five hundred and five million dollar budget for this year, which uh, the council then increased to five hundred and eight million dollars. Uh, this is the the f- first budget in the city of Lexington's history that is over $500 million. So it is a, a growing uh, budget, a growing uh, government. Um, and uh, that that is, you know, I, that's good news, I think. I think the, uh, the fact that Lexington is growing as a city, there's more people there. That's one of the reasons why they have more money. And also they're going to be providing more services and doing some stuff with that money that we'll kind of get into. Um, like we also said that the council increased the budget slightly, so there's some stuff in this budget that was not in Mayor Gordon's plan. And Mayor Gordon does have a line item veto over the budget and has not really said whether or not she's going to use it. I would suggest, I would think probably not, but we'll see. The budget is large, larger than ever before, in part because of this thing called pre-funding. So pre-funding is what happens when there is a surplus and the government decides to use that surplus to pay for something in the future. So basically like saying, we're going to pay for this. It's not going to happen for a few years, but we have the cash sitting here now. So we're just going to go ahead and earmark it. Actually, we're just going to go ahead and pay for it. Uh, there's this concept in public budgeting, which I only remember from um, my class I took on this, but that has been more than a decade ago. Uh, but there's this thing called the present value of money. And if you can pay for things now and get them later, you stand to save money. Um, because money is more valuable now than it is in the future. So uh, that's uh, that's something that a lot of governments do to kind of save money uh, in the in the short and long term. Um, and, and Lexington right now is is running a surplus. They're running a pretty significant surplus because they had some cash infusions from the federal government. They're growing, like we said, and uh, there's more people there to pay taxes. And because of that, they haven't you know pay, paid for more services necessarily for all that. So they just have some extra money laying around. Um, so one of the things they're doing is paying about $28 million in this pre-funding situation. They're paying $2 million for affordable housing, $3 million for street lighting, $2.8 million, so almost $3 million for an improved 911 service. Um, there are some money in there for capital grants for social services, about $4 million and $2.5 million for new vehicles. There's a lot of other stuff. Those are all the ones I think that were seven figures or more. 
Um, in addition, about $5 million in ARPA funds are being distributed, mostly for payroll, social services payroll. None of that actually counts against income for Lexington's budget because it is money that they had sitting around. So when you do a budget, your income has to match your expenses. And if you don't, you run a deficit. And you have, there's like a whole math equation. And the accountants are like, here's your deficit for the year. But all of that spending, which is you know $28 million or so, none of that actually counts against income. So that's just like extra that the city's spending because they're running a surplus. So Jasmine, one of the things um, I, I noticed is that the this spending, spending also kind of matches one of the things that louisville wants to do in terms of yeah what i i noticed like affordable housing and street lighting as pretty significant um one-time expenditures for um money that the city has to spend i think we talked a few i guess it was a guess a few months ago about mayor greenberg's i think it was like his homelessness plan or maybe something else about that 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 included money for um affordable housing and street lighting. Um, and I guess, um, you know, for like one time spending, do you think that those are good ideas? Are there other ideas that you would have done? Um, do you think that those are like, uh, good ideas for a city to spend their one time money that they don't necessarily have to spend on an ongoing basis? Yeah, it seems like a good idea. I guess what was surprising to me looking at your numbers here was that the, street lighting was 3.1 million compared to 2 million for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And I would think that affordable housing funds would be way more. (laughs) Yeah, this is okay. So this is pre funding, right? This is like, um, one time spending on affordable housing. There is other like recurring spending that happens for other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. I, yeah, I, I guess I would just put, <laughs> I would think that a lot of money would go, I would want a lot of money to go towards affordable housing because I think that's a a big problem in Lexington. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, I agree. It's a, it's a huge issue. I mean, I'm, I'm not totally sure the relative difference, but I do know that like the people that I know that live in Lexington talk even more. I mean, everybody in Louisville and Lexington talks about housing prices yeah. uh, a lot, but I think the people in Lexington are, are like even more freaked out about it than than they are in Louisville, and they're pretty freaked out here in Louisville. So, yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think you know, affordable housing, spending money on affordable housing is like money that goes to like a certain population. Like, it's going to impact what like you know, a couple thousand people maybe. Street lighting affects everybody. You know, it is like everybody comes downtown mm-hmm. and That's uses true. the lighting. Um, you know, but I I I, I kind of agree, and I, and I I think that there's a lot of benefits to like improving lighting, um, or uh, for especially for like walked areas, areas where people are walking a lot, which I you know. It might be just my age when I lived in these places, but I actually like walked a lot more for transportation when I was in Lexington, when I lived in Lexington than I uh, do do in Louisville. So I don't know. Um, I I do agree with you, though. Like I I kind of was a little surprised that affordable housing was like the fourth largest um, line item in those groups Mm -hmm. behind like vehicles and you know they're improved nine one one. A lot of those probably had like specific sticker prices and everything though. Um, But those are kind of the pre-funding things, which are bigger ticket items for sure. But there are a lot of other bigger bonded projects that the city is putting forward. And if you bond, you know, obviously you have to pay for it over a long period of time. But some of these are pretty big deals. So 
six million dollars in this budget is going to phase two of a new city hall lexington has been talking about replacing their city hall for a long time six million dollars is a pretty significant chunk of money so it seems like that this their plan to build a new city hall has some money behind it now and actually is uh looks like it's it's gonna happen so you know, I haven't seen a lot of reporting about like what it's going to look like or where it's going to go. I think that still is a little bit up in the air, but that's a lot of money in the budget um, and something that I think um, is probably a, a, a good deal. Uh, it was kind of old when I lived there, and that was a long time ago. So, um, you know, that that's cool. Lexington getting a new city hall. Another one is two million dollars for a new pool at Douglas Park. Um, there's a story going on in Louisville about like how we didn't open one of the pools, the very mm-hmm. few pools yeah. that we don't we operate here in Louisville, and Lexington's building a new pool. So good. I for know. I, yeah, I definitely thought of that when I read your notes. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's really good for Lexington. Wish we were opening a new pool. Um, and two million dollars for renovations to Phoenix Park. Phoenix Park, uh, right in the middle of downtown. I'm. I don't. Uh, it's. It's an interesting park. Uh, it is right there next to the government centers. There's a there have always been like a lot of homeless people that are in Phoenix Park, um, and I I have not been around Phoenix Park in a long time. Um, but I do worry sometimes. Like, are does renovation mean you're like kicking all the homeless people out, and where are they supposed to go? Um, but also the park needs work. So um, hopefully it looks better. Hopefully. Um, it also includes some of that money for affordable housing goes towards uh, alleviating some of the homelessness problem in that area. Uh, and another thing is like the ongoing money also results in a lot of new vehicles. So Lexington really, really in on vehicles. They're building, they're spending a lot of money both in their pre-funding and their ongoing budget for new vehicles for city officials. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned like, it's good that they're opening a new pool. Um, you have any, you have any memories of Phoenix Park, Jasmine, uh, from when you, when you lived in Lexington? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's right there by the library and the courthouse that I used to walk to every day, you know, like when I worked in the summers, when I was in law school, it was like pretty close to our church that we went to. So yeah, I was near there quite a bit and the church that we went to was downtown and um, I had friends like at church that were pretty close to a lot of the homeless guys that kind of like hung out in our church. So like we gave them rides to the park and hung out with them there quite a bit. So yeah, I'm really familiar with Phoenix Park. There you go. Uh, the The budget also does include a 5% raise for city workers. That's pretty good. I guess that's good. Um, you know, we are in an inflationary environment. If yeah. you want to, if you want to hire and retain workers, um, it does require raises. So that's good. Um, I think that is kind of in line with inflation should be somewhere around five to 8% this year, I think. So uh, should be kind of a baseline for all employers. If you're, if you're not getting a 5% raise this year, you're getting a pay cut. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Everybody that's going through mid-year uh, evaluations, no matter who you are, private or public sector. Uh, and the last thing is that the budget was approved unanimously uh, and includes the changes to the growth boundary and everything else. Um, we talked a little bit um, we, we had talked a little bit about the um, the process when I guess it was last week when we talked about the SB 150 and the guidance that the Kentucky Department of Education put forward about um, about you know basically undermining the whole law and I had said the whole thing about like you know 
the state legislature doesn't do anything to build consensus. They don't do anything like collaboratively. They just kind of steamroll people uh, and expect to just like pass the law and have it work, uh, you know, however it's supposed to work. You know, the, the Lexington Council right now, the LFUCG Council, is a pretty diverse body. There are a lot of different kinds of people on it. There are some Republicans mm-hmm. on it. There are some very progressive Democrats on it. Um, and uh, you know, it it says something that the mayor and the council were able to pass this budget unanimously. It shows that it's a collaborative process. People with lots of different types of priorities came together. They wrote a budget that worked for everybody, and they were able to pass it unanimously. Uh, you know, Mayor Gordon does have the line item veto. She might, she she could like write some stuff that the council um, passed out of it, but I think that that's kind of unlikely. And I do think that like. You know, this is a really nice piece of legislating, and it really uh, shows how Lexington, even though it is bigger, more diverse than ever, the council is more diverse than ever, the leadership of the city is more diverse than ever, you can do this. You can work together and put together uh, a a government that works for everybody. Um, So just uh, from all of the negative stuff that we said last week about the way in which the state government works, it is possible and Lexington is doing it. So there you go. Anything else to say about this, Jasmine, before we move on? No, I I think that's a, a really great point about Lexington. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. Um, last thing we wanted to talk about were several quick hits that we wanted to get to. The first is a follow-up a follow on something we talked about several weeks ago, and it's the ethics case against Louisville Metro Council member Anthony Piagentini. Um, he is the kind of the Republican leader. I, I don't know if that's like an official title he has, but he definitely functions as the Republican leader in the Louisville Metro Council. Uh, and he has an ethics case against him that he has moved to dismiss. And he's moved to dismiss it from the Ethics Commission, which is, uh, I'll, I'll explain it here. Okay, so as a reminder about what this case is about, Anthony Piagentini accepted a new job for $240,000 with the Louisville Healthcare CEO Council while working actively to secure a COVID grant for the same institution for a lot of money. So, you know, uh, he was not like forthright when he was working on this bill that he was also talking to them about getting this job. The bill, the, 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 you know, the Louisville Metro Council passed the ordinance, uh, gave the money away, and then he was hired the next day. So he wasn't like technically employed by this group, which I guess is the technical rule, but he definitely seems like he was under, uh, you know, he was under consideration for the role, probably, unless the entire hiring process took all of one day, which I think is unlikely. So that's the way it works. There is a whole lawsuit portion of this that involves a judge, um, and, and everything, and, and we talked a little bit about that in the, in the past, but this specific action with Anthony Piagentini asking for a dismissal, that is for the Ethics Commission, which is a, a body that is over Louisville Metro government. So the Ethics Commission has said they would seriously con- consider the motion to dismiss. There is a whole process that they are going to. They're not just going to like reject the motion out of hand. Um, but this is separate from the overall lawsuit that's happening in district court. So um, that this specific action, um, which could serve as a pre- precursor to the lawsuit, um, that, that could be something that happens here. So anyways, that's the update with Anthony Piagentini. Still something that we will be, you know, watching for the next little bit here until it gets resolved. <sighs> Anything to say about Anthony Piagentini, Jasmine? Um, just clarify his lawsuits in circuit, Jefferson Circuit Court. 
I appreciate that, Jasmine. Want to make sure. Yeah, we're I know. There, there's just so there's so many courts. There's really not. There's district. There's circuit. There's the appeals court, and then there's the Supreme Court. There's probably other ones that I'm missing. Family court. There's family court. I don't know. There are a lot of courts here. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. There's there. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> All right, so last week, this is the next thing. We're no longer talking about Anthony Piagentini. Last week, we talked about the Methodist, and, you know, this week, the, the Southern Baptists are having a moment in the news. The Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest group of Baptists in the country, they moved to oust their member churches who have female pastors. Most of the national coverage about this, which has been covered in all the national newspapers, the national television outlets, etc. Most of the national coverage on this is focused on celebrity pastor Rick Warren's church in California. Uh, He's retired from pastoring this church and picked successors, and it was a husband and wife team. Um, So the Southern Baptists ousted them. But there's a local angle, too. So they, they obviously did this. They took this action because of Rick Warren's big move to have this large church have a woman pastor. But Fern Creek Baptist here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, found their church removed from the Southern Baptist Church or Convention because Linda Barnes Popham is their pastor. She's been in her position for 33 years, um, and because this became a big issue with Rick Warren, she found herself on the outs with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, really unfortunate situation. She seems like a really faithful soldier for the Southern Baptist Convention, and that was not appreciated, and she was kicked out, and her church was too. So that's a really sad story as far as I'm concerned. Um, anything to say about the Southern Baptist Convention or Fern Creek Baptist, Jasmine? It, it's just crazy that she has been there for 33 years, and, and like now it has become a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was growing up in the Southern Baptist Convention, it was significantly more moderate. And even like through the yeah. 90s and into the 2000s, like – it was accepted that like different people could have different opinions on, you know, female pastors or whatever. And that's like a hallmark of Baptist faith that like different churches can come to different conclusions. And that was like how it existed for forever. And it mm-hmm. was like that denomination has moved significantly to the right to the point where they're willing to take this step. And that is very sad. I feel really bad for, for Linda Barnes Popham and hopefully their church can find a different home and a different denomination soon enough. Uh, Fern Creek Baptist, like kind of down now near your neck of the woods, maybe. I've never seen it before. Apparently, it's like right yeah, I I pass by that church all the time. Um, really? going home to Bullet County, and it's near where I worked for many years um, at a barbecue restaurant, and so yeah, go. I'm very familiar with it. And um, there are other types of Baptist, of which um. You are one. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, that's there. There's lots of different kinds of Baptist denominations uh, of all kinds of uh, ideological viewpoints. So there you go. Um, OK, uh, this one's fun. Uh, District three Congressman Morgan McGarvey hit a single in the annual congressional baseball game uh, and later scored a run. Uh, the Democrats got absolutely crushed in the actual game. So it was cool that one of the major highlights for the Democrats in the congressional baseball game featured our own Morgan McGarvey. So that was cool. Did you see this highlight at all, Jasmine? Have you seen any videos or pictures of it? No, I didn't. And I didn't know that we got crushed. Oh, yeah. That's was... embarrassing. Uh, the Republicans the... beat us the baseball. Uh, the thing is, like, I think that, like, one of the people who's a 
Republican is like actually a pitcher. And it's always the toughest thing in the congressional baseball game. Like, who's your pitcher going to be? Because like, if you don't have anybody that can pitch, it's really tough to like, you know, you're going to get absolutely demolished. And like, I think of the Republicans, I don't know who it is. I watched like a couple innings of this, but yeah, the Republicans really were pouring it on. Um, yeah, and I think they've won like four in a row or something, which is you know that's too bad. We need some dang. We need some more Morgan McGarvey's up in up in this team where that can you know maybe they'll let Morgan start next time, be the designated hitter. I'm sure he could play first base. I don't think he played in the field at all. Like you know he's he's young, he's like fit. You know I see him running around the neighborhood. He he. He needs to. He needs more playing time. I don't know who the manager is. I'm gonna write them a letter. I'm even more upset about this than I am about the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so, anyways, uh, one other fun fact about this, you know, Morgan McGarvey. I don't want to like out him here, but like also very famously, like a University of Kentucky graduate, um, and or yeah, I think he went to law school at UK. Um, on some level, he went to UK. And is a pretty big UK fan, um, despite you know being the congressman from from Louisville, uh, and wore did not wear a U of L jersey or a Bellarmine jersey. So I appreciate that. Um, he does live closer to Bellarmine than he does to U of L. So that is a there's a there's like a lawyer softball league in town. I wonder if he ever played on one of the law firm softball teams before he played in the congressional baseball game. I don't know, maybe. I'm, maybe he was spending time in the DC batting cages. Like I don't know if he has any friends yet. Like he just moved <laughs> up there. His family's staying here. Like you know, that's a uh, that you know he could have been training. And you know, when you're just in Congress, all you do is vote on stuff all the time anyway. You don't really get to do much. So maybe he will. Maybe he is like just just hitting the hitting the batting cages, getting better. Uh, it's probably a good use of his time. All right, enough about that. Moving on. Ninety nine percent of UPS employees who are members of the Teamsters Local eighty nine one of my favorite unions, uh, they voted to authorize a strike if UPS and the union cannot negotiate a contract before August the 1st. This is pretty perfunctory. Uh, unions do this kind of action all the time, but it doesn't happen unless it's pretty late in negotiations and uh, the, the, threat of, um, the threat of a strike actually is real. Um, so that absolutely could be on the horizon here coming up in August. So, you know, I, I think um, a big sticking point in these union negotiations is just like air conditioning in the trucks, which seems like just give the people air conditioning. Like, geez, like, that's a hard job in the summer. Like, geez, give those UPS drivers some air conditioning. And, and I, of course, like wages and benefits are another part of it all of that always is so i hope ups gives the workers what they're asking for i really hope that we continue to get our packages on time um so if uh you know i I certainly hope that this gets resolved and i hope the workers get what they want so um any anything you have to say about teamsters local 89 the ups uh potential strike here jasmine yeah, I guess like a lot of the headlines I've seen about this uh, have talked about like how it could affect the economy and everything. And and I guess what I would point out is that it's not sh- striking laborers who are hurting the economy. It's the company who is withholding benefits. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, companies that are in some instances withholding air conditioning for their drivers who are driving in August, right? You know, that's just nuts. Like, you know, um, workers have to stand up for themselves. Um, and this is the way that they do it. Like, this is how you negotiate. And I certainly hope that it does get resolved. 
I, I think it can be resolved, and I certainly hope hope it means like better conditions and you know better wages and benefits for the workers. Yeah, that's that's how this works. That's how this goes in in this world, in this country, in this economy. And thank goodness they have a union. So there you go. And thank goodness they have teams. Luckily, yeah, yeah, and luckily my Eras Tour merch got here today <laughs> before. There's a strike. So. I don't know. I don't know if my coffee filters made it here or not. That's the main thing I have <laughs> coming from UPS today. So, anyways, yeah, and they're more and more important to the economy as we get more and more stuff ordered. Um, there you go. Uh, that's our show for this week. I promise, at some point there will be a guest. I don't know who it will be. You know, we got we got we got people we've asked. Uh, well, we will have people coming. Uh, it, it will happen. But Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. We haven't been that active on there either, <laughs> but we're on there. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It's going to happen. There's all kinds of improvements that are coming. Guys. It's, it's, it's summer. I don't know. We have a Facebook page that you can like. You can listen to our podcast on the podcast of, of your choice. We also have a sporadic newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And you can support what we're doing on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast and last but not least we're part of the Demcast network and the Ford Kentucky network alright everybody thank you for listening we will see you next week <laughs>